You're listening to a special guest speaker on the Calvary Brighton podcast. All of us on one big plane, there's the guy who's from our missions organization. He's telling us about, these, about this people group that we're going to tell the gospel to. First, he tells us, wow, here at this organization, we have never, ever, ever seen any people group that is more open to Jesus than this people group. Like, they want to know about Jesus so bad. The second you tell them about Jesus, they're all about him. There never, ever has been a people group in, that they've ever studied that's more open to Jesus. That's number one. Number two, they're incredibly evangelistic. They're incredibly missional. It's almost as if right when they accept Jesus for the first time, right when they become a Christian, they're immediately dis- begin discipling others. They're already telling their neighbors, their friends, their family members about Jesus. Like when you've told five people in this town, you've pretty much told the whole town because that's how evangelistic they are. Three, they're desperate to talk to you. This is a type of people group that thrives in one-on-one, intimate, deep conversation. They have deep questions that they're just looking for answers to that they haven't been able to find anywhere. Deep spiritual questions, questions about Jesus, but they just haven't been able to find the answer. And they love getting the answers to those questions in deep one-on-one conversations where you get to know them and they get to know you. That's number three. Number four, unfortunately, before we got there, before, before here as a church of missionaries got to this people group, a different group of missionaries five years ago actually got to this people group first. And during the time of them being there, they actually accidentally said some things and did some things that hurt these people, that kind of hurt them deeply. And because of that, this people group is really unsure if they can trust anybody who says that they follow Jesus. Or they're unsure if they can trust any, any, any church or anything that's labeled as Christianity. But with all that in mind, they are still desperately, and their, their curiosity and their love for Jesus is still undying. They're, it's still stronger than ever. So they may be skeptical of you as the messenger, but Jesus, the guy, they, they're so, they want to know him better. They want to know more about him. And lastly, this civilization is so remote. It's so far from any other civilization that they're just battling intense loneliness, intense depression. And they're just desperate for just a sense of community and unity with others that they just haven't ever been able to experience before. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guys a couple options, and we're going to talk about what would be our missions strategy as a church, all right? So I'm going to give you guys two options, and then I'll go through each one, and you raise your hand for which one you want to pick, all right? So I need everybody to vote. If you guys are like, you know, this is fun. I'll just see what other people vote. No, you got to vote, okay? You have to raise your hand for something, okay? So by show of hands, we're going to give you two options. Number one, who thinks that the best way to reach these people would be to, one, invite them to church, or two, talk to them one-on-one, okay? So who thinks invite to church? Okay, who thinks one-on-one? Okay, everybody. Now, the second question, who thinks that the best way to tell them about God would be to, one, have them listen to a sermon, or two, just sit down and have a conversation with them? Okay, who thinks listen to a sermon? Who thinks have a conversation? Everybody. Man, you guys are like really in agreement. I don't know what's going on here. And last question, who thinks that the best way to get these people involved would be to, one, have them be in a large but surface-level group setting, or two, a smaller group, but more intimate group setting. Who thinks larger group? 
And who thinks smaller group? All right, everybody. Everybody's on, on the same page today. That's great. So what if I told you that in our church today, there are 40 to 50 of these people that I described? They, this remote people group I was describing are actually the young people of today. They're Gen Z. Everything that I described are the Gen Z believers and non-believers of our generation today. So, and what I want to talk to you is I want to come alongside you guys to help you reach the Gen Z youth in your guys' lives. I don't want to tell you how to parent. I'm not a parent. I'm not going to pretend like I'm a parent. So I'm not going to tell you how to parent, but I, what I am going to try to do is try to be the bridge between you and then the Gen Z people that you have in your life. Maybe your kids, maybe your kids' friends, maybe your neighbors, or maybe just your people, people that are here in our church today. I want to be the bridge between you and them. And I, I come in, here's the perspective I'm coming from. I'm a part of Gen Z. I've been a youth pastor for five years, but most importantly, I've done a lot of research and I've really sought the word about how to best reach young people. And that is what I want to relate to you guys. I want to relate to you guys from what the Bible says and what research says is the best possible way to reach the young people of today. So here's, I grew up in a youth group. I grew up going to youth group, being my dad's kid. I grew up just understanding one particular way of doing ministry, of doing youth ministry. It's big games, lots of caffeine, lots of greasy food, pizza. And I think the goal was if you can get so hopped up on sugar and adrenaline and caffeine that maybe you'll listen to, to, listen to the sermon for like 20 minutes. That was the strategy. And that was the strategy that I inherited when I became a youth pastor. And I actually, that's the strategy that I went with until COVID hit. Once COVID hit, you can't do big games. You can't do lock-ins. You can't do all these, all these gross events anymore. You have, I had to reinvent the playbook. I had to throw out the old youth ministry playbook, and I had to write something from scratch. And I was like, well, if I'm going to have to start something new, I might as well start something that's based upon God's word. I might as well turn to scripture. And so I, I sought the word. I sought the Bible. I looked cover to cover, and I was surprised to find that there is not a single verse in the entire Bible that talks about youth ministry. There is not one verse. There's not a single verse that talks about why we should have youth groups, why we should have all these crazy games, why we should separate them from the church. There's not one. And I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Well, there's got to be some reason, right? If it's not for, if because of the Bible, there's got to be a different reason that we do it. And so then I turned to research. I was like, well, the let's look at the professionals. Let's look at the smart guys in the field. And I was really surprised to find that, quote, there is, now listen to this, guys. There's, quote, no clear correlation between kids who attended youth group or who went on missions trips and the strength of their faith later in life. No correlation. Doesn't matter if they went to youth group, doesn't matter if they went on every mission trip, there's no correlation that they'll be a stronger Christian because of it later in life. And then I heard a, this quote, if that quote wasn't enough, I heard another quote from a different researcher that I, ever since I heard it, I've never been able to unhear it. It's quotes from Andrew Zersky, who's a re, the head research professor at the, of youth ministry at Austin Seminary. And he says, quote, if there's a youth pastor out there who thinks that his efforts programs, trips, and teachings alone 
are likely to solidify the faith of a young person. He's believing this against all evidence to the contrary. And ever since I heard that, it's been stuck in my head. And I haven't been able to unhear it. And I, that just sent me on this big rabbit trail, seeking, seeking scripture, seeking research, and trying to figure out why on earth don't we do youth ministry the way that God's word tells us to? Why did we decide to do it this way? And why don't we do it the way that God commands us to in his holy scriptures? So what I want to do is I want to begin by looking at Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Now, you don't have to flip there. I'm going to be bouncing around a bunch of different verses today. So just for your, the, the, your thumb's strength, don't, don't worry about flipping back and forth in your Bible. You're welcome if you want, but all the verses are going to be up on the screens today. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Now, upon researching, I am very happy to tell you that among Gen Z, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is incredibly ripe. It is, we are waiting for workers, and it's incredibly ripe. In the largest survey that Barna Research, which is a Christian researching group, has ever done, the largest one they've ever done, they have found that, quote, despite long-term trends from previous generations, Gen Z is historically open to Jesus. In fact... There is no generation alive that is more open to Jesus than Gen Z. Not a single generation alive is more open to Jesus than Gen Z. The study also found, quote, a lot of openness, country over country. We titled this generation the open generation because that is the kind of glaring thing you see when you look at this data. You don't see any closeness to Jesus around the globe. You don't see any rejection to Jesus at all. Another survey found that, quote, the major majority of teens who were surveyed have positive things to say about Jesus. In fact, roughly six out of 10 say they are motivated to know Jesus more. Additionally, 80% of Gen Z Christians share their faith with someone else every single year. 80%. That makes Gen Z Christians the most evangelistic generation alive today. 80% of Gen Z Christians share their faith every year. And they are desperately in need of the gospel. They're desperately in need of the gospel. Gen Z is statistically the loneliest generation ever. And they're desperate for a true sense of community. Diagnosed depression has skyrocketed amongst young people. In fact, it's doubled since 2017. That's not that long ago. That's when I was a junior in high school. And it's doubled since then. Factors like social media and COVID have only exasperated the already existing problem of loneliness among Gen Z. The harvest is ripe, guys. Gen Z is open to Jesus, and they are desperately in need of Jesus. They're open to Jesus, and they're in need of Jesus. So what I want to talk to you about today is three things. After researching and seeking God's word, I want to talk to you about three ways to best reach Gen Z with the gospel. If you're writing notes, these are the three things we're going to be talking about today. The first way is through parents. The second way is through discipleship. 
And the third way is through being authentic. Parents, discipleship, and being authentic. If you're taking notes, write those three things down. So beginning with parents, the Bible and almost all research we have available agree that by far the most important factor in a young person's faith is the faith of their parents. By far. Turning to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These two verses are known as the Shema, and it's a very, very, very important uh, passage in the Old Testament. In fact, it's even today, devout Jews, they, they, uh, they repeat this verse in the morning and the evening every single day. It's one of the verses that's placed inside the Tephilim, which is a small box on the head and the hands of, of, of devout Jews. And the reason that this verse is so important for the entire Bible is because one, it tells you who God is. He's your God and he's one. There's not multiple gods, there's one God, and he's yours. Second, it tells you what to do about it. You are to love him with your heart, your soul, and your strength. It tells you who God is and to love him only. In these two short verses, it tells you what it means to have a relationship with God. But what happens right after these verses? Well, in verse 6, it says, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. The Hebrew word here for impress means to repeat constantly. To repeat constantly. Repeat constantly to your children who God is. Repeat constantly to your children that you are to love him with your whole heart, your soul, and your strength. Repeat constantly. We're making a regular topic of conversation. Your love for God should be repeated constantly in your households and in your families. It's also especially important to remember the historical context of the book of Deuteronomy. The author of Deuteronomy lives in a time where most religions in the world at that time believed in multiple gods. They didn't believe in just one god. They believed in multiple he was specifically warning Israel against idolatry. You can't worship multiple gods. There's only one. You get to only worship one God. You can't love other things and worship other things alongside God. Maybe in our modern context, that could be your sinful desires. Maybe your career. Maybe if your, your, your future hopes and dreams. Whatever it may be for you, you can't worship those things alongside God. You must worship God only. This is seen especially clearly in the book of 2 Kings. This is right before, uh, right before the reign of King Hezekiah. The nation of Judah was far, far, far from God. And they had fallen into the trap of worshiping God and other idols. Beginning in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 40, it reads, They would not listen, however, but they persisted in their former practices. Even while these people were worshiping the Lord, they were worshiping their idols. To this day, their children and their grandchildren continue to do just as their ancestors did. An entire generation, and then the generation after that, was raised up following the example of their parents, and they worshiped God 
and other idols. And guys, I know from firsthand experience, as someone who did that, as someone who gave my heart to God and gave my heart to other things and was serving as a youth leader during that time, I know firsthand that young people see through that. Young people can see that. Parents, if that's you, your children can see that too. And they could follow your example for better or for worse. But also, I mean, turning to modern research, the importance, the timeless truth that parents are paramount to the faith of a young person is also backed up by any and every research that we have available. Quote, there are three factors in determining whether an adult child remains in their faith past high school. Those factors include, number one, if the family attends church at least once a week. Number two, if the parents reported that their religious faith was extremely important to them. Number three, how often they have conversations about religious matters. The third predictor, according to the research, is the most important. It shows that the strongest tie to lasting faith is related to how often parents talk to their children about religious matters as an ordinary part of life. It is essential that you repeat constantly to your children who God is. It is essential that you repeat constantly to your children that they are to love him only with their whole heart and soul and strength. It is essential. But just in case, if you're a parent here and you're thinking, well, that's great, but I already do that. I already do that with my kids. I already do that with my grandkids. See, I have a weekly Bible study with them. I pray with them before I go to bed. I do this, I do that. Well, research also shows that, quote, additionally, if parents double the frequency that they have spiritual conversations with their children, they have a 66% higher chance of remaining Christian in 10 years. So if you're already doing it, that's great. Double it. If you talk to your kids once a day about God, make it twice. If you do a weekly Bible study with your kids, make it twice. And also be looking for any and every opportunity when, you're, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up, when you're sitting at home. Repeat constantly. Never waste an opportunity to talk to your kids about God, telling them who God is and to love him only. Never waste an opportunity. It's also important to remember that you can't just settle to talk about your faith with your kids, but your faith has to be real. It has to be coming from a place of genuine belief. You have to obey both parts of the Shema. You must know who God is for yourself and to love him yourself and then impress that upon your children. There's a warning in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 and 4 that says, we know that we who have come to know him, if we keep his commandments, whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. Research says that, quote, most teenagers share a religious identity with their parents. When parents don't attend church, their children usually don't either. This timeless truth echoed both in scripture and in research. You must First, believe God for yourself. Parents, your faith has to be real to you. You can't just talk to your kids about your faith. It must be real to you. 
Also, research has found time and time again that parents can't rely on youth groups and youth pastors and youth leader volunteers for the spiritual well-being of their kids. Research has found, quote, since there's no clear correlation between kids who have attended youth group or who have gone on missions trips and the strength of their faith later in life, but youth groups who partner with parents have the strongest outcomes for lasting faith. Those are the youth groups that have positive, lasting, statistical faith in their, in their students, the ones that partner with the parents. Parents are also especially important in today's modern world because in our modern economy, quote, an increasing number of youth pastors are bivocational. They either work a separate non-ministry job or they work multiple jobs within the church. That second category is the category I fall into. In today's world, youth pastors, it's increasingly hard for them to spend all of their time and all of their energy and all of their effort solely on youth group. So parents, if you get one thing from this section, please know that you are crucial to your kid's faith. You are crucial. Words cannot describe how important you are to your kid's faith. The Bible and research agree that you could quite possibly be the difference maker in your kid's life. So for parents, please, please, please do two things. If you want to reach your Gen Z youth, your Gen Z children, please, number one, make sure that you know God for yourself and you love him only. And second, make sure that your faith and spiritual conversations are a frequent topic of conversation in your families. You are frequently talking to your kids about God, not only with your words, but also with your actions. But the Bible doesn't only place the responsibility of raising up the next generation on the shoulders of the parents but it places that on the entire older generation. And this brings me to my second way to bring Gen Z, to reach Gen Z for the gospel, through discipleship. Discipleship. In Paul's letter to Timothy, he urges him to encourage his church to have the family kind of discipleship relationships that we're called to have as brothers and sisters in Christ. In 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Do not rebuke an older man harshly, but exhort him as if he were your father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. To some extent, you are all the spiritual parents of the next generation. You are all the spiritual parents of the next generation. I have been blessed to experience what this is supposed to look like. I've had the unique opportunity of being able to grow up and being raised in, one, in the same church that I now, as an adult, attend and serve in. I have many spiritual moms and dads. I have many spiritual aunts and uncles. I have many spiritual brothers and sisters, many of which are, in the, are some of you guys. I have, have been blessed to experience this, and I know from firsthand experience that it's possible to happen because it happened to me. That was what happened in my life. I know it's possible to have spiritual moms and dads, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters who care for me and raise me up to know the Lord. I want, to I want us to turn our attention to Judges chapter 2. The context of this verse is that 
This was right after the leadership of Joshua, who was a righteous leader who raised the Israelites and led the Israelites in the way of the Lord. But after he died, an entire generation was raised up that didn't know God. And this led to a long, dark time in Israel's history where generation after generation didn't know the Lord and didn't turn to the Lord and instead turned to sin and idolatry. Judges chapter 2, verse 10 says, After that, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now whose fault was that? Was that the younger generation's fault for not knowing the Lord? No, it wasn't. It was the older generation's fault for not raising the younger generation in the ways of the Lord, to know the Lord. And once again, research echoes this timeless truth of the Bible. In a 2018 study done by the Youth for Christ, it was found that if a, quote, young adult has a mentor during the time between graduating high school and going to college, the chance of them joining a new church is 77%. But if they don't have a mentor during that time, the chance that they will join a new church is just 17%. Just during that three-month period, if a young person has someone pouring into them, discipling them, mentoring them, just during that three-month period, the chance that they will remain in the church and find a new church once they go into college jumps 60%. Again, Jeremy McDonald, who is the director of operations at Youth Worker Community, says that, quote, the key factor in a young person having faith in adulthood is meaningful interactions and connections with adult mentors beyond their youth pastor. The key factor is mentor relationships. And now, this is especially important. Why do I bring all this up? It's especially important because during the year 2020, during COVID, only quote, 10% of Gen Z Christians were reached out to by an adult in their church. Only 10%. That should scare us. That should be a big wake-up call. That should be eye-opening. We are well on our way to raising up a generation who doesn't know the Lord. We are heading down that road. But it's not too late. If, and also, I, I, just a quick side note, just in case you're sitting here and you're feeling, yeah, I want to do that, but I feel like, I, don't, I feel ill-equipped. I don't feel ready. I don't feel like I could do that. I feel too old. I, there's no way I could relate to these kids. There's no way they could relate to me. There's, I, I don't know what to, I would talk to them about. I don't feel like they'd want to talk to me. If, just in case you're, you're thinking all of these things, research actually says the opposite. Research shows that Gen Z thrives in situations where they are being discipled. Quote, Gen Z often identifies with their grandparents' generation more than their parents. If you're sitting here and you're, you're retired and you're like, man, I'm too old for this. I can't do this. Maybe like 30 years ago I could have done that, but I can't now. I can't relate to these kids. They're, they're too young. I, what would I talk to them about? Research shows that you're actually the perfect fit for that. You are the perfect person to reach out to them. You are the perfect person to disciple them. But by now, probably many of you are thinking, okay, now I get that I should disciple Gen Z. And I get that I can disciple Gen Z. But how? How do I do that? 
And this, that brings me to my third and last point. By being authentic. By being authentic. I, at this point, I want you to once again, just as we did at the beginning of my sermon, picture Gen Z as, instead of as a group of people that you know, as an unreached people group. It's an unreached, remote people group. We're once again on that plane, and we're traveling there, and we're preparing to reach them with the gospel. Okay? Put yourselves in that mindset. Now, Amber and I have some friends who are actually preparing to be missionaries. Um, and they're going to a country in Europe called Estonia. And they've told us again and again how important it is to understand the culture of Estonia, the society of Estonia, what's life like in Estonia, what's important to them, what's not important to them. Even like, what's the language? I'm trying to learn the language of Estonia. All of that is essential before they go there to try to reach them with the good news of Jesus. All of that's essential. So in the same way, I want to help you. I want to help you understand the culture of Gen Z and how to speak the language of Gen Z. What's important to them? What are they like? I want to help you as you go out into the mission field and reach Gen Z with the gospel of Jesus. But once again, first, I want us to turn to Scripture. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and 37, it says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. The first step, before we step into this ripe harvest and reach Gen Z with the gospel of Jesus, the first step is to have Christ-like compassion. Christ-like compassion. Write that down if you're taking notes. The first step is to have Christ-like compassion. The first step is not to look upon Gen Z and be judgmental. The first step is not to look upon Gen Z and look down upon them. The first step is to look at Gen Z and have Christ-like compassion. Have compassion towards them. Now, now that we've got that first step, now we can turn to the Apostle Paul's advice. In his letter to the Corinthian church, Paul reveals a small part of his evangelism strategy. In 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul says, Though I am free, and I belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone, to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all means I might, have, I might save some. I do all of this for the sake of the gospel, so that I may share in its blessings. Now we have adopted the compassion of Jesus Christ. Now that we have the compassion that can only come from Jesus, now we can take the second step and follow Paul's example. We can make ourselves a slave to everyone, that we may win as many as possible. Just as Paul became a slave to the slave and a Jew to the Jews, put himself under the law, outside the law, became weak, all so that he might win some, I want to encourage you and urge you to make yourself Gen Z so that you can reach Gen Z. Make an attempt to understand them, relate to them, understand what they're, where they're coming from, who they are, what they're like, so that we may save some, so that we, we do this for the sake of the gospel, 
so we can reach them for the, with the good news of Jesus. So the first step is we must answer the question, what does it mean to be Gen Z? Gen Z is the generation of people born between 1997 and 2015. So a lot of them are older than you think. Although they can be as young as eight years old, they can be as old as 26. So that means while some of them just this year have finished third grade, many of them are married, their parents, their business owners, young professionals, and more. I myself am Gen Z. Also, something really neat and unique about Gen Z is that they're incredibly diverse. They're the most diverse generation ever. They're the first generation in the U.S. to be less than 50% white. And they're also the most biracial generation ever. And that's really cool because they have access to cultures and heritages that other American generations just simply didn't have access to. And that's really cool. That's re that set, really sets them apart. Also, quote, for the most part, the young people of Gen Z are diverse, educated, social media savvy, open-minded, have a strong desire for social justice, and are skeptical of large institutions. Most researchers agree that those are some of the main staples of Gen Z. Additionally, something really important is Gen Z has the unique, had the unique opportunity to grow up with the internet, to grow up with the internet, and that's important because they're exposed on a daily basis to more perspectives, worldviews, ideas than any other generation was at their age. They get a worldwide access to different ideas and perspectives that other generations just didn't have access to. And the reason that's important is because it really impacts the way that they view the world. And I'll show you what I mean. They, they typically view the world more from a global perspective a global perspective. I'll give you an example. Picture a non-believer who's in the Gen X generation. Okay, so two generations before Gen Z. When they hear the word Christian, they would immediately naturally think about maybe a Christian coworker, a Christian neighbor they know. Maybe that one time they went to a, Christi a Christmas Eve service. They would think of firsthand experiences they had with a Christian. But if a non-believer from Gen Z hears the word Christian, they would immediately think about how Christians are portrayed socially and culturally. Socially and culturally. They, th they immediately, naturally would think of big picture versus immediately immediate personal interactions with other Christians. Does that make sense? Finally, a last thing to know about Gen Z is that, Gen, quote, Gen Z Christians oftentimes bristle at being disparaged or judged for the norms of their generation. Think being judged for wearing crop tops, leggings, having a mullet, or whatever else the current trend is. Now, if you're sitting here and you grew up in the 80s and you wore leg warmers, or if you grew up in the 90s and you wore Jinko jeans, you can easily understand and easily sympathize with Gen Z about this. This does not set Gen Z apart at all. So I just want to encourage you as a quick side note to just understand and look past maybe some of the cultural norms. Even Gen Z Christians can still be a product of their generation. So kind of to wrap it up, what it means to be Gen Z, because of the many worldviews, cultures, and perspectives that Gen Z is exposed to on a daily basis, from since the day that they were born, they have a deep, deep appreciation for authenticity. 
Or as Gen Z would say, or as I would say, just being real with one another. Quote, Gen Z's desire for authentic relationship, relationships stems from struggles with skepticism and hypocrisy in leadership. Marketing research has shown over and over that this age group is the most skeptical of brands, the government, and other big institutions, end quote. It's important to remember that big institutions, that includes the American church. That includes the American church. It's really important to understand and not ignore that, quote, Gen Z desires Jesus and is more open to him than any other generation alive today, but they are skeptical of the church. I can't tell you how many friends I've had who feel and say the exact phrase that they feel like they have to leave the church to find Jesus. I can't tell you how many, how many times I've heard that. There's a mass exodus of young people who are leaving the church. A mass exodus of young people who are leaving the church, either physically leaving or mentally leaving. Gen Z's wariness and skepticism of the institution of the American church directly fuels their desire for authenticity. Quote, this applies to the church. With young Christians wary of spiritual abuse as well as the prevalence of sexism and racism, they tend to put more weight on the people and the teachings they find at the church rather than on the church's name or tradition. Quote, Gen Z is open to Jesus and his teachings, but they're skeptical about institutions and leaders who are putting on a facade. In a study done amongst non-believers, it was found that the four most common ways non-believers choose to describe Christians and Christianity are number one, hypocritical. Number two, judgmental. Number three, too involved in politics. And number four, anti-homosexual. I truly hope it goes without saying that those shouldn't be the four most common ways that the non-believing world chooses to describe us. This is the lens in which Gen Z views the church. This is important. We cannot ignore it because we must overcome it. Again, once again, picture yourself. You're on the plane. We're traveling to a non-believing, unreached people group who has been hurt by missionaries who have got there before us. What would you do? Well, I'll tell you what I would do. I would try my best to be extra loving to them, extra kind, extra compassionate, have all of the fruits of the Spirit extra, because I would try to show them that even though those missionaries did that to them, that's not who Jesus is because we're trying to reach them with the gospel. That is the goal. We're trying to tell them the good news of Jesus Christ, and it would be foolish to ignore the way that, the, that Gen Z views the American church as an institution of the American church. Now, this desire for authenticity that I keep on bringing up, it actually is something that sets Gen Z apart from other generations. A guy named Daryl Hall, who's an author and a researcher who studies um, how to best speak and preach to different generations, says, quote, for older generations, the more mythical their spiritual leaders, the more they trusted them. Gen Z want there to be no gap between Daryl and Dr. Hall, no gap in persona, no gap in who I am and who I present myself to be. Elders and baby boomers don't need to know how I wrestle in order to accept me. Gen Z doesn't want to just hear the proposition, here's what the Bible says, and here's what I have to say about it. Gen Z wants to hear how it makes me feel, 
how I struggle to believe it, where any gaps in my understanding might be, and the steps I took to grow in my faith and what it's done for my everyday life. Not as your pastor first, but as a person first. I think in a lot of ways, Gen Z echoes maybe the same heart and the same concern as the Apostle Paul did in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Young Christians, Gen Z Christians, expect transparency, honesty, and authenticity from their leaders and their pastors. They expect that. They're skeptical of leaders who, make, who seem like they have all the answers. Pe- people who just have a perfect prepackaged sermon. People who have all the same skill sets as a used car salesman. Someone who just comes across as convincing, knows right when the right thing to say, the right way to say something, the right thing to say, just to get you to feel a certain way and believe something. They're skeptical of that. They want to lift the veil and just have authenticity with, with, with one another. They appreciate leaders who are real with them and honest with them. They, quote, desire a place where the leader presents themselves authentically and where then they, and this is important, can then be authentic in return. Quote, Gen Z students appreciate two-way conversations where they're invited to think out loud with leaders and come to conclusions together. And then by now you may be thinking, okay, that's really interesting. I'm glad I learned that. But I don't consider myself to be a Christian leader. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I'm not going to be standing behind a pulpit anytime soon. How does this apply to me? How can I be authentic? So here's a couple tips. Like I said earlier, the number one first step is to have compassion. Have compassion. And you can do that by balancing truth with love. Have compassion by balancing truth and love. Quote, generations need to balance love and truth in how they respond to the sin struggles of Gen Z. They should talk with more young people to better understand the culture that Gen Z is immersed in, including the prevalence of the LGBTQ identity. The second step you can take after you have compassion is to just take Gen Z seriously. Take their concerns seriously. Take their struggles seriously. Listen to them. Allow them to talk to you. Be honest with them. Take them seriously. To paraphrase uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, don't look down on them because of their youth, but set an example for them in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. Don't look down on them because they're young. Don't look down on them because they haven't had the chance to get as much wisdom as you, but set an example for them. Set an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Quote, young Christians get frustrated with vague responses or Christianese. They need leaders who understand their struggles and explain their answers transparently. Blanket responses that overlook their questions or real-life challenges come off as hypocritical and can make them feel more cynical. But genuine relationship building with mentors and church leaders can be a powerful antidote. Have relationships for relationships' sake. If you, just in case you don't know what Christianese is, it's phrases like, I'll be praying for you, but you never actually pray. God is just testing you. Oh, God opens a door and he closes a door. The Lord works in mysterious ways. I don't feel led to do that. Just put it in God's hands. And other phrases, in the ears of Gen Z, you're not speaking Gen Z's language. You're speaking your language. If you're going to an unreached people group, you've got to learn how to speak their language. 
inadvertently, phrases like that can sometimes accidentally make Gen Z feel like they're being dismissed. It can make them feel like their concerns aren't being validated. They come across as just blanket responses that don't make them feel like they're being taken seriously. Just simply, like I said, have a relationship with them for relationship's sake. Remember that young people have just as much of the Holy Spirit living inside of them as you do. They are full of potential. They're made in the image of God and they're worth getting to know. Just get to know them. Have a relationship for relationship's sake. Be authentic with them and they will be authentic with you in return. So in conclusion, if you want to go and the harvest is ripe, if you want to go into the world and reach Gen Z with the gospel of Jesus, here's what you do. Number one, if you're a parent, make sure that you know God for yourself and you love him with your whole heart. And number two, then make your faith frequently known to your kids with your words and your actions. Make it a frequent topic of conversation. If you're not a parent, for everyone else, I would encourage you to, number one, rise up to the occasion. The harvest is ripe. Disciple the next generation to know the Lord. Raise up a next generation who knows God. Understand Gen Z and where, so that you can be all things to all people. Do your best. Amy, we may not be perfect, but do your best to understand them. Relate to them. Understand how they think, how they feel, how, what they're like, so that you can be all things to all people and reach them with the gospel. And number three, be authentic with them. Form genuine relationships with them. Here's some practical things you can do. Parents, during lunch today, right when you leave church, ask your kids which three people in our church body they would like to get to know better. Grandparents, ask your, ask your grandkids that. Which three people in our church body would they like to get to know better? Then go up to those people and make it happen. Go up to those people and set up opportunities for your kid to get to know that person and set up discipleship opportunities with them. Second, another practical thing you can do, if you haven't yet, set up your youth, set up your Gen Z kid or your Gen Z grandkid in ministry opportunities where they'll be serving side by side with older Christians. Great examples of that would be the ushers ministry, maybe the children's ministry, cleaning ministry, soundboard ministry, food bank ministry, the list goes on and on. Sign them up for opportunities where they'll be serving side by side, shoulder by shoulder with older Christians where discipleship opportunities can naturally form. Everyone else, if you're not a parent, here's some practical things you can do. Just make an effort to get to know your Gen Z brothers and sisters in Christ. Just make an effort. It may not, may not go perfect. It may feel awkward, but just make an effort. It will go a long way. Although you may feel awkward and it may feel weird, just take the initiative as the older generation to raise up the next and form authentic relationships with them. Also, another practical thing you can do is instead of trying to get to know them in a big, large group setting, try to take them to a, a more smaller group setting, maybe like a coffee shop or a cafe or a restaurant where you can just sit down with them one-on-one -on -one in a safe, more deep setting and just get to know them and be authentic with them. Those are two things that you can do easily today, okay? So once again, I've read this verse now for the, this is gonna be the third time, but I wanna end today's sermon by, by reading Matthew chapter nine, verse 36 and 37, one last time. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Calvary Brighton podcast. To find out more about our ministry in Brighton, Colorado, go to calvarychapelbrighton.com.